Hi, wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. I'm Hari Arakli and this is today's Tech Briefing. Infosys turned 40 this year and the journey has seen many firsts for India, from listing in the US to distribution of wealth across the rank and file of the enterprise. The story of the company, widely seen as the bellwether of India's IT services industry, includes chapters in which the founders came back from retirement to return it to industry-leading growth, not once, but twice. Now, five years after he came back as non-executive chairman, co-founder Nandan Nilekani says there won't be another chance to set things right when he eventually leaves, this time, if things go wrong again. Over the last five years, Nilekani and Salil Parekh, the current CEO, have returned the company to industry-leading growth and within striking distance of $20 billion in revenue. There is no plan B, Nilekani told reporters yesterday at the company's Bengaluru headquarters, but declined to be drawn out on a timeline for naming the next chairman of the company's board of directors. He will stay as long as necessary, he added. Founder N.R. Naranamurthy said that the company's leaders will continue to face many challenges, but as long as they ask themselves if their children and the society at large will be proud of their decisions, they will continue to be in good stead. In this extended edition of the Daily Tech Brief, we bring you excerpts of comments from Nilekani and Naranamurthy looking back and looking ahead to their aspiration of a company that will last 100 years. The audio is from a press conference recorded on my phone from my seat and I've tried not to clean it up too much. Here's what they said. I think, uh, you know, as I told you, I'm the last joker standing. So that's... I sort of adds to my responsibility because there is no plan B when I leave. So I think, uh, you know, we, this certainly I think now I've been given that mandate to make sure there's something in place for a hundred years. So let me go back and worry about how to solve that. I, I think, uh, you know, when we think about how, you know, 40 years later, we're still there, still flourishing, still, you know, getting right. I thought I'll talk about three R's, which at least in the last few years uh, we have practiced. And uh, these three R's are not uh, reading, writing, arithmetic, but uh, different set of three R's. I'll talk about relevance, resilience, and responsiveness. I think one of the big things, and yesterday some of you have heard both uh, Salil and Mohit talk about, is being relevant. You have to be in business, you have to be relevant to exist. Because if you become irrelevant, then nobody is interested in you, the customers don't want to hear from you, the employees don't want to work with you, investors don't want to invest in you. So I think a big achievement of the last few several years has been making Infosys extremely relevant to every one of these categories. For customers, we have made sure that we have done the latest and the most important services that they need today, whether they are services like energy as a service, which is in the vertical, cloud, cobalt, and so on. So I think making our business relevant has been a huge goal that Salil has uh, led in the last five years. Similarly, we have to make our employees relevant because we have to make sure that they have the right skills to be able to deliver in this new world. And therefore, I think the massive investment we have done in learning Reskilling has been really something huge and we've built some very advanced technology and made sure that people are relevant. And we have made sure that we're relevant to our investors by not only delivering business performance, but by also putting in predictable policies 
on every front with its capital allocation. So we want to be a no drama, no surprise, boring company. That's our goal. So that's about relevance. The second thing, uh, the second thing is about the whole uh, issue of responsiveness. One of the big things we have done is try to make Infosys very responsive because when you run a company of you know, 300,000 plus people in 40 countries, you know, how do you make sure that, you know, like it doesn't have bureaucratic cholesterol in it. Because once you put bureaucratic cholesterol, then, you know, that's the kiss of death because then, you know, everything takes time. So I think a lot of effort has gone in becoming responsive. A lot of effort has been, Salil has led the whole one Infosys uh, approach where he brings everybody together. A lot quick decisions are made. Uh, and I think uh, we made, and I think you know, finally the buck stops with Salil, so he, he can call, he can take the decision. So I think uh, making Infosys very responsive. Uh, we have done a lot of work in internal rejigging, looking at all processes, reviewing all non-value-adding processes, implementing straight-through processing, and so on. All that is to make sure that even though we are a $17 billion plus company, we, we have a very fast, quick decision making. We just a few people, we just have to make a few phone calls and we go with it. So I think creating a very responsive environment has been the second part of our success. And the third part is resilience. I think resilience is really how well a company does when, they, when it faces challenges. And I think one of the big things is, I think resilience has gone up in our system. Uh, and, you know, if you just take COVID as an example, COVID had many different kinds of stress tests, right? The first test was whether you could work at all in COVID. And I think there, our team worked, in fact, Praveen worked with uh, Salil, and uh, within a matter of a couple of weeks, across the world, 300,000 people were working from home. And I think no other company actually made, made it at that speed and scale that Infosys did and continued to have growth even in those difficult times. So the first Resilience test of COVID was whether you, uh, you know, you're able to implement working from home and working without travel for years on end. So that was the first test. The second test was getting them back to work because what we have learned is that it was actually easier to uh, have people work from home than having them come back to work. And Fish is smiling at me. I don't know what uh, the head of HR. <laughs> so I think uh, now, how do we get people back to work and make sure that you know we have enough value addition in coming all the way here to have people come to meet other people? Then we had to deal with a sudden surge in demand because COVID led to uh, acceleration of uh, of uh, digital technology, and suddenly everybody wanted to implement digital. So there's a sudden surge in demand. So we deal with that and we'll be resilient with that. And then that led to a demand for people and therefore we deal with high attrition. And then now we have another situation emerging, which is the slowdown of the economy, which means we have to make sure that we continue to add value and, and get business. So in the short span of, uh, you know, uh, just three years, we have had to go through all these different things. And I think, the resilience is how do we respond to each of these situations? How do we understand that the situation has changed because something has changed in the exogenous environment which needs us to change and then rapidly implement that. So I think resilience has been a big, you know, we have had the resilience of dealing with management changes. So so I think if I, if you ask me, I mean, I'm not sure, I'm not sure this formula is good for 60 more years. You know, somebody will have to figure that out. 
But certainly, I think yeah, right now, our focus on resilience, uh, responsiveness, and you know, all, all, all the things that I talked about. Again, I'm having a senior moment. I forget the third R. Relevance. Relevance is words use a lot, so he remembers it. I don't know. So I think relevance, responsiveness, and resilience, I think that's been the mantra of, of the last several years. I think that's held us in good stead. And I do hope that we'll be able to continue. I do believe that in the long term, we have to create a structure where we have great leadership on the execution side. We need great leadership on the board to make sure that because the board needs to provide governance and looking at the future and management as they execute, and they have to work together in the spirit of mutual trust, which is what we have today. So you know, our goal is to put all this in place, not only for next year, but you know, for the next 60 years. Now, I think coming to my issue, uh, you know, when I joined, I, I didn't think I was going to be there for five years, to be honest. I have a huge responsibility, as I said. You know, how do I make sure that uh, I hand over in a way that it, it continues for that 100-year journey? So, I, I always said that I'll be here as long as required. If you remember my first statement, I'll be here as long as required. At the same time, I, I don't want to be here that long. You know, looking at, I'm certainly not looking at, you know, 50th anniversary kind of situation. I'm not really sure whether I'll be alive at that time. So the point is this, that uh, I, but I do have a huge responsibility because when I came, I could come. So there was, I was there. I, I was just floating around, but I was there somewhere in the scene. But I, I can't say that tomorrow, right? I mean, so we have to make sure that it's done well. And then it, it perpetuates after that too. It is not just one transition, right? So we have to put a place a system where there's perpetual transitions, both of the chairman and the CEO. And, you know, every chairman-CEO combination should have the same kind of trust and working relationship that Salil and I have. Now, that's a hard ask to, you know, to think ahead that much because it's all about human beings and so on. But, but that's my goal. So, but I certainly don't want to be there longer than necessary. It's complex, you know, people are complex, situations are complex, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely... Uh, committed to making sure that there is an orderly transition after I leave. This following comment from Narayan Murthy was in response to a question from a reporter from Economic Times on Infosys's founders keeping their children out of running the company. No, let me say you that I was completely wrong in that. I think I was depriving this organization of legitimate talent. So I take back that whatever I said, I think that if every individual must have the same opportunity as every other individual if he or she is considered the best person for that job. So I don't believe in, uh, in, in whatever I thought I would. The reason why I, at that point of time, probably I embrace that idea was because I was afraid that some people may bring undeserving candidates and, and put them in positions and I wanted the future of the organization to be strong uh, so therefore I was completely wrong, I take back that, I admit I was wrong, so today my view is that you should not worry about what nationality, what heritage, whose son you are, whose daughter you are, as long as you have the best competence for a position. 
But you have to go through the proper uh, process of maturing in the organization before being given the the, the you know before being given suitable uh, position or suitable responsibility. The most important thing was respecting the hierarchy of ideas rather than the hierarchy of corner offices. How did it translate to reality? Every strategic decision was taken with a few experts in that area and the remaining internal members of the board and a few very bright youngsters who we realized would add tremendous value. So the way I manage, and I'm sure they probably have improved it now, I don't think I made a decision. What I did was I would listen to Fadish in uh, sales, I would listen to Mohan in finance, I have listened to Nandan in strategy, I have listened to Chris in technology, I have listened to Shibu in delivery, I have listened to Dinesh in quality. It was their ideas, it's not so much my idea. I was, I operated as a facilitator of uh, agreeable debate amongst all of us. And that the best in best idea of what that is the way we operated. So you know, Murthy is a big fan of uh, classical Western classical music. In fact, he was once stuck in New York for several weeks, and he would go every day to practice sessions of the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. So I think he sees himself as a corporate zooming meta. <laughs> you know, orchestrating all these guys, getting all the ideas and then creating a magnificent symphony. Is that a fair, uh, fair description? Yeah, so corporate zooming method. You can write that down. <laughs> the other thing is about, you talk about, he actually institutionalized a process called voice of the youth. And a management team had people below the age of 30 who were inducted into the management committee to give them a voice in the formal uh, system. So he started this thing called Voice of the Youth. No, I think one of uh, Murthy's mantras was happiness is a positive cash flow. So we have all absorbed that. We are all into positive cash flow. The only question I ask Jayesh and Nilanjan is how much is the incremental cash to the balance sheet last month? So I learned that from him. So it's a, maybe old fashioned and all that, but that's what the thing. So I think the moment you're not having positive cash flow, you're burning cash. While there are arguments that when you burn cash, you can grow fast. Burning cash is, you lose discipline. So then whether you burn 1 million or 10 million, who knows, right? And then you also spend a lot of things which should not be spent on. Customer acquisition, this, that, all that. So I think happiness is a positive cash flow is a mantra. Learn from him. Well, I think... Uh, you know, obviously, uh, I think we, I, mean, I can't think of a better CEO than Salil, but the CEO's job is 
running, executing, managing, motivating people, and and and, and being very customer focused. You know, one of the things I like about Salil is he will drop everything and catch a flight to Greenland if necessary, if he has to close a deal. I have not seen that. I can't do it. I get jet lag if I go to Greenland. You know, so I can't do all this, but he can do it. And uh, so he's always there. He's always in front of the. I'll give you a story. I won't name the customer. Uh, the customer, the CEO of this customer, a potential customer. We don't have that customer yet. Wanted to do a, a Zoom call or video call with the CEOs of the two competing firms, so Infosys and one other firm. This happened very recently. And it so happened that Salil was traveling in uh, US and that other CEO was, is based in the US. So this CEO of our potential client asked for it at a time which was 2 a.m. in New York. The other CEO refused to do the call. Saying, I can't do a call. This is what we think. Huh? We don't know what he told us, but we think that the other CEO said, 2 a.m., I'm not going to do a call. Salil did the call at 2 a.m. New York time. And he, he was completely unfazed. And for all you know, that is the reason why they will get the business. So that is the, see, that shows what a CEO, you know, the customer focus that is required. So I think, obviously, someone like Salil, and on the, on the chair side, I think, I won't say someone like me, but I'll say that you need to have a strong board too, because, you know, when you, you need a board which will uh, think of the long term, look at governance, look at the values that the uh, Smurti and others have, you know, and, and adopt it as their own. So they, they have to behave like founders, even though they may not be founders. So I think that's what I think about this. I am a very religious fellow, even though in the company, in the company, I have this record, I have never ever participated in a religious one. Never. However, at home, I am very religious. And I realized that there is the realm of logic. I am reasonably good in logic, logic, mathematics, all of that. But I realize that there is a realm of faith which transcends logic. And that the impact or the situations which are best resolved in the realm of faith or which give you confidence and hope in the realm of faith are much more important than those decisions, those issues that you come across in the realm of logic. So I depend on faith, I pray. So there can be many. Uh, let me give you one uh, story. <coughs> You know, we got listed on NASDAQ on the 11th March 1999. Correct me if I'm wrong. And the, the first customer meet, the first investor presentation, was somewhere around 25th or 26th of February 1999. And the Friday before that, we were, I was to make a major presentation for 25 minutes, 25 minutes, and uh, Mohan made for 5 minutes, Nandan and his team was in Japan, was covering Japan and Europe, etc, etc. 
I had excruciating tooth pain. Excruciating. And I goofed up that presentation. Vallabh was disappointed. But Vallabh is such a decent guy. He wouldn't tell me. Mohan was extremely, actually upset, disappointed. So we go to Toronto, which was our first on on the Saturday night, and Sunday morning I told them, "Look, I want to be on my own." They also were didn't want to listen. And Sunday evening, Sunday around six p.m., I said, "Somehow I have to handle this." You know, remember, Softronics has had failed, right? So it is always there in my mind. I said, I don't want to fail in this, no matter what happens. So I went to a seven by eleven kind of store next to my hotel in Toronto, and I bought a cutting plane. I come home. I had dinner on my own. I didn't want to interact with Mohan. I didn't want to interact because Mohan has always been almost like my son. Okay, and to look bad in front of your son, no, it's not a great. And then all of us know that. So around two o'clock in the morning, it became excruciating. I tried to practice all, nothing worked. So I prayed to God. Took the cutting player and cut off my tooth. I pulled it out. You know, I had heard that I would lose my eyes. Already weak eyes, I would lose my hearing or something. For about five minutes, everything went black. It was dark. I thought I was gone. <laughs> But you know, God is great. That's where faith is very important. Slowly. Sight came back, and from three a.m. to five a.m. or six a.m., I practiced it some four five times, and I did I did a fantastic presentation next day. You know there used to be fourteen presentations. I mean, Nandan knows that fourteen presentations every day from morning seven thirty a.m. at at uh, breakfast to night eight thirty p.m. at dinner. Fourteen presentations, and one came to me and said, "What happened? How is it you did such a good presentation?" And then I told him this. So I think we all appeal to the power of faith. Digital transformation is here to stay. COVID essentially made every board in the world realize that not being digital is an existential crisis. Uh, many companies have to uh, not only transform themselves, they transform themselves in a cost-and-time-efficient manner because they are also doing this transformation in the midst of economic uh, difficulties. So I think the company which is able to both get business transformation articulated and executed at the same time is going to win this game. And I think there's no better company than Infos in the world today with that. There are companies that are good at articulation, PowerPoint. They don't know how to execute. And the companies that are good at execution and running software factories, but don't have the business knowledge. Infosys is a sweet spot of both having business and domain knowledge and understanding where it's going, 
and executing very well. So absolutely sweet spot and it's up to us to lose it. There is no shortage of uh, opportunity. There is of course currently an economic situation that may you know have its consequences but the fundamental secular trend of opportunity is very good. Biggest challenge is execution, making it happen. I mean, you know, I think as Murthy said and so did Salil, it's a 95% execution game. It's not about grand strategy and strategy you can do in one afternoon. But after that, how do you execute relentlessly? How do you build a firm? How do you get one in close? How do you get, how do you go and close those deals? That's where the challenge is. That's it for this briefing. You can find all our podcasts at ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Thank you for listening.